0: Welcome to The Female Influencer, Career Advancement Strategies for Women. I'm Lacey Shane, and this week I'm really excited to be welcoming Dr. Sean Andrews to my podcast. Dr. Sean Andrews is a keynote speaker, organizational consultant, and author for the best-selling book, The Power of Perception, Leadership, Emotional Intelligence, and the Gender Divide, published in 2018 by Morgan James Publishing. She's been a Forbes contributor, quoted in the Chicago Tribune, interviewed on dozens of podcasts and radio shows, including NPR, and is a Women's Media Center She-Source expert. She serves as a professor at both UCI, or I'm sorry, yes, UCI, Irvine, Mirage, and Pepperdine, oh, I don't know if I could say this, Graziadio Business Schools teaching courses on women and leadership, behavioral, organizational behavior, diversity in organizations and leadership ethics. She is founder and CEO of Andrews Research International. Dr. Sean Andrews, welcome to the podcast and thank you for visiting with me today. Lacey, thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here. So what do you share with the audience before we get started into some of the meat of our discussion, what you do in your practice? Yeah, absolutely. So I,
1: I wear a few different hats. Um, prior, well, I'm, I'm self-employed now, um, but prior to that, I was in corporate for 22 years in the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical industry. So I've been have had my own business for about eight years now. So uh, the different hats are as as I'm a professional speaker, so I give keynotes and lead workshops uh, for organizations and, and associations and groups. Uh, I also am a consultant, so I consult to organizations on DEI and gender topics. Uh, I am a professor, as you mentioned. I, I teach women in leadership, is actually the course that I built and a course that I teach at UCI and Pepperdine both. Uh, and then I also do some coaching. Uh, and then my so all of those, the speaking, consulting, teaching, coaching. All of those uh, are focused on really five key areas, um, leadership, gender, emotional intelligence, bias, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. So everything I do is centered on those five topics. Uh, and then you know I, ha- I have the different formats that I communicate those in. But uh, those are areas of not only passion for me, but they're also areas that I studied in my um, my. My doctoral dissertation, and also in my book.
0: Got it, got it. And your book is the power of perception. And your website is Dr. Sean Andrews. For anybody listening who wants to check out all the different things that uh, Dr. Sean is doing, um, you're touching on all the key areas that certainly, in my mind, have an impact on the success of women. As you know, I'm focused on work at working women. Uh-huh. And what's frustrating for me a lot of times is we look at all the advancements in in research and how we think about things. And we understand that diversity is important, at least on some level. And still women haven't made a lot of progress in getting to the top of our organizations. We're 50% of the population and 57% of college graduates. So, you know, we're graduating in equal numbers to men but why are we not leading in equal numbers to men? And I wondered if you could just comment on why do you think it is that there's still such a di- uh, discrepancy in leadership in our organizations?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so uh, this is precisely what I studied in my uh, dissertation, and which again, led to, led to the book. So I also was curious to know, you know, in this day and age, why we don't see more women leading. And w- what I found is, is, is it, there's not one solitary reason for it. It's multifactorial. Um, it's, and, and indiv- I would say women and some men experience these barriers to different degrees. So, so what I did in my, um, in, in, the, in my research is I categorized barriers into really there's five major categories of barriers. So you have gender bias is one major category. Or institutional mindsets, you could call it. So this includes gender bias and stereotyping. Uh, what's, what's also what's called agentic leader behaviors and role congruity theory. And I'll go through and explain you know each of these different categories for you. Um, so so the gender gender bias, everyone knows what that is. Those are you know bias and stereotypes are, are prevalent, they're pervasive, um, and it is a, a big reason why we don't see more women leading. Um, What agentic leader behaviors are is this is that what that refers to is when we think of a leader, when society thinks of a leader, um, I I often ask my audiences, you know, what characteristics come to mind? And I often hear competitive, assertive, confident, aggressive, uh, you know, sometimes visionary. Uh, I don't usually hear great at communication, great at collaboration, great at relationships, empathetic communication, you know, strong communication skills. I often don't hear those, those characteristics. And so when we, when society thinks of a leader, we tend to think in male traits, which is called agenic, agenic traits, basically. So societies produces expectation that, um, leader traits are synonymous with male traits. So one thing we need to do as a society is is um, we we need to start redefining what a leader is because it's not just male traits. There are um, you know women have and we get, and certainly we'll talk about that today. But there are some fantastic characteristics and strengths that women have, um, and women ab- absolutely are leaders. And I can share the data behind leadership as well. Um, but but that's a type of bias. So. Uh, and then there, so so that's one major category is is biases. And then you have um, what's called structural obstacles. So this is, for example, lack of access to mentors, role models, or sponsors. So that category also privilege falls into that category. Um, privilege, as you know, for example, male privilege or white privilege. So there are structural obstacles that that women experience to different extents. Um, another major category is, um, individual mindset. So a fair amount of women hold themselves back and it's for different reasons. Um, I have found that, you know, and again, I could, we could go more into this in detail, but, um, women hold themselves back for different reasons. So some women look at the top and say, I don't want to work 70 hours and I don't want the politics. And so they, they choose not to go further. Um, others type, others, um, you know, want more value work-life balance more. And so they tend to just settle in at the position they're in and choose not to go any further. So, so there's different examples of how women hold themselves back sometimes.
0: And then another,
1: the fourth major category is uh, lifestyle choices. And this is, includes work-life balance issues, family choices, and breadwinner caregiver dynamics. Uh, And then the final category, I mentioned there were five. So the final one is our gender culture itself. And um, men and women are not only hardware differently in our brains, in our neuroanatomy, but we're socialized differently. And socialization um, is just as powerful, if not more powerful than our neuroanatomy. And basically, these are powerful messages that we get from birth uh, as men and women, and we carry these. Be, be, these reinforced messages into the workplace as far as how we're supposed to behave as men and women, and so when you put all this together, there is no one reason. Uh, again, this is multifactorial, and you know women often m- women do experience these barriers to different extents, and so it's for the it's, re, it's these reasons that we don't see more women leading our global organizations.
0: Yeah, that's, um, that's complex, That, but it's so complete. <laughs> I know, I know, I
1: probably answered it way too much, but I just, I wanted to lay it out there because, because this is, I studied this and then in my, my book, I decided to organize it for people to easily understand. And if, unfortunately, there's not a silver bullet again, and there's, there's many different reasons. And that also makes it hard to address
0: because there's so many different factors. Sure, sure. Well, I love that you have this organized so clearly, and uh, everything that I've learned through being involved in the Women's Leadership Program at Cal State Fullerton, you've you've kind of encompassed all the different things that we're thinking about that's on our minds um, in these five categories. So I really appreciate you going through that, and I also love the fact that you're talking about redefining leadership. I don't know if I share this with you, but I just published a book back in July uh, called Advancing Through Influence, and uh, my premise is that women can lean on their female strengths to advance and build their influence, but my perspective is that we all need both male and female skill sets to be really great leaders including those things you said that don't sometimes get valued as a leadership trait that can come from my perspective. And this is going to be my next question. um, Sometimes more naturally to women, it seems to me, although I can share certain men in history that I think had both male and female characteristics. I think there are some that seem to come more normal to us. Maybe it's because we're the child bearing gender what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that we have behaviors that are more naturally aligned with what we know to be good leadership having to do with collaboration and, and that kind of thing? Uh, Lacey, that is such a good question. So, okay,
1: uh, there's a, well, a few different comments I could make here. So first of all, yes, the balance of traits is the people who have a balance of masculine and feminine qualities make the best leaders. Uh, So let me back that up with some data here. So there's a Stanford Business School study uh, where they looked at 132 business school graduates and followed them for eight years. And what they found is that, and they looked at different groups, for example. So they looked at women who had um, masculine and feminine traits. They looked at masculine men, uh, who had feminine traits, they had, you know, masculine fem- women who had male traits. uh, So, different groups. What they found is that the women who had a combination of male and female qualities did better than all of the other groups, even the men. So, they were, and when I say did better, I mean they were promoted faster. They, in their, in their careers, they had more career advancement than any other group. So, um, so when women who, when women, uh, who had masculine, some masculine traits, when those are tempered with female traits, they're promoted one and a half times greater than men with, with feminine, actually masculine men or feminine women. Uh, they're promoted twice as often as feminine men and three times as often as masculine women. Um, so what's really interesting about this Stanford study is that they didn't find an advantage for men who also straddled the traits. But for women, there is an advantage. So, so yeah, absolutely. And we know that our best leaders have qualities of both. And, and in my research, the women that I interviewed, uh, I interviewed women at four levels of Fortune 500 companies, um, starting with administrative assistant, middle manager, director, and uh, vice president. And I give all of them an EQ, emotional intelligence assessment, followed up by in-depth interviews. And what I, I also what I found in my research is exactly what the Stanford study showed that the women women shared with me that they uh, oftentimes would suppress their more feminine qualities because of bias, because of gender bias and expectations on them as leaders. But then as, as they climbed the ranks and many women said that when they finally reached the position where they felt that they had, quote, made it. So, you know, for whatever that is for you, maybe it's maybe it's director, manager, VP, president, whatever it is for you, when they felt that they had made it, they actually started leveraging more of their female traits. And as a result, they became even better leaders uh, and their teams reported that as well. So, so I heard this again in my research that also backed it up. Um, and then from an EQ perspective, emotional intelligence perspective, um, Men and women, overall, in the millions of EQ assessments that's been taken worldwide, men and women are equally emotionally intelligent overall, but we do have gender-specific EQ traits. Um, And this was actually the core of my dissertation research here. Um, So women, overall, uh, women tend to score higher than men in areas of empathy, social responsibility, and interpersonal relationships. Men tend to score higher than women in areas of assertiveness, stress tolerance, and self-regard or confidence. So, what's really interesting, and this is, is this is exactly how we're socialized as well as men and women. Women are socialized to be empathetic and great at relationships. Men are socialized to be assertive and confident. Um, but we we know that when again, when women have both traits. And when leaders have both traits, th- th- those
0: are the best leaders. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, that is also very clear. You're a very clear communicator, <laughs> your John. And Liz, I, I love listening to you because it's. I think it's very helpful. I think it's very helpful for the listeners to understand where these gaps are and what what the reality is that has been proven through through science and through research. But what's also interesting, I, I like to look at also. In addition to the studies, what are people saying out there? What are our business leaders saying? And I don't know if you have heard this or not. Do you, do you know who Kevin O'Leary is? Um, no, I think I've heard the name, but I I don't know what he does or stands he for. He's um he's a billionaire. He's on Shark Tank, the show Shark Tank. Oh, okay. You probably heard of that. Mm-hmm. And Shark Tank's been around for ten years. They have people come on and pitch their businesses and the sharks will give them an investment. If they like the pitch, the The whole reason for the investment is, uh, to make money. Uh, so Kevin O'Leary, you know, is in it with the other five or six sharks that include a, a number of notable wealthy business people, including a couple of women like Lori Greiner, who's from, um, Oh, the shopping network show i can't think of the name of it right now but um he a couple years ago asked his staff to investigate what all his top performing businesses had in common that he had invested in and come to find out all his top performing most profitable companies were all run by women so he did this study comparison of just his investing companies what were the women doing differently than their male counterparts. And he found three things that I think are fascinating. And I'm wondering if this dovetails in any way with with what you know through through your research and study. But the first thing he found is that women are more collaborative leaders, no shocker there, that uh, their teams tended to feel uh, more engaged in the decision-making process, more um, like there was a collaborative environment. The women also tended to, establish more realistic goals so at the end of the year the men had lofty goals didn't meet them as often as the women who had more pragmatic goals and were meeting them more often which also translated to happier staffs because their staff felt like they were working on a winning team the last one that I think is kind of fascinating and I'd love to know what you think about it is he found it so you have to also know that these women all All but one of them were moms. (laughs) So what he felt, or what they they thought they found out, is that the women who were moms prioritized better. And. He surmised that because moms are always put in these impossible situations and can't get it all done between their kids and their life and their husband and getting the food on the table and the school and the church and the, you know, all the stuff they do in addition to their careers, they could never do it all. So they only did the only the most important things and that this skill translated to business, which I thought was fascinating because Dr. Sean, who would ever think, you know, we used to say. Oh, if you're if you're a mom, then you know. Well, we didn't used to say it, but the idea is that you were not as desirable to be promotable because it was assumed that you didn't have as much attention on the job because your attention was fragmented. But now, just anecdotally, and and also uh, the CEO of Spank, Sarah Blakely, has found out the same exact thing that these women have these prioritizing skills that translate to business. Is this something that you have heard about or or know anything about or wanna comment on?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's another great point, Lacey. Uh, Yeah, absolutely know about this. And actually this piece of it, so in the women that I interviewed, again, for my dissertation my original dissertation, um, I asked them several questions, but one of the questions was around if they felt that their gender Helped them or hindered them in the workplace. And one of the women who was actually a middle manager at the time shared with me, she goes, and she's, she's a mom. She had, she has two kids, I think like around like under five, two kids under five. She shared with me that actually being a mother was an an advantage um, in the workplace. And I said, what do you mean an advantage? She goes, she goes, because I have, I have to prioritize and it essentially comes down to time management skills and prioritization skills. She goes, Because I'm at home, I'm a mom, I have two young kids. When I go to work, I'm focused on work a hundred percent. And I'm ef- more efficient than before I had kids because I know I have to get stuff done. Because when I leave the office and go home, I'm a mom, and there's no way escaping that. So she felt that being a mother actually made her a better worker and a more efficient worker. And she, she was so much more productive than her male counterparts because of being a mother. And I was shocked when I heard that as well uh, several years ago. So yeah, that absolutely rings true. Um, there's a saying, you know, Lacey, that you may have heard of, it's been around for years, but if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And that absolutely is true when it comes to motherhood you know, you you know, mothers are juggling a hundred things at once. And so you have to prioritize and focus. Um, so yeah. Yeah. i definitely um, I believe in that and subscribe to it. Um, and then the other point you made um, is about the, the leadership differences is when it comes to leadership, there are over 30 different styles of leadership out there, but there's two that's been linked to gender. And again, I could speak to this because this, I studied this in my dissertation. Um, transactional leadership is, uh, these are common terms, transactional and transformational leadership. So transactional leadership is an even exchange of transactions. I'll do this for you. You do this for me. It's, it's also called quid pro quo type leadership, and it's common in business and politics. It's also associated with the male style of leadership. So men use transactional leadership commonly, every day, especially in business and politics. Now, transformational leadership is very different. As the name implies, um, through the exchange, through the relationship, both the leader and the follower are transformed. That's why it's called transformational leadership. So this type of leadership is based on cooperation collaboration collective problem solving and decision making it also focuses on ethics values emotions standards and long-term goals so you just mentioned many of those things when you were sharing that example from from the shark tank so this style of leadership is associated with women so women are naturally transformational leaders leaders and uh this is really an important aspect for women to know because, because, these, because uh, these traits are valued in our workplaces today. And there's dozens, if not hundreds, of, of studies out there uh, on transformational leadership showing that it's the type of leadership that people want and desire in today's competitive workplaces. And women naturally have this. Women are naturally transformational leaders. So I often encourage women to leverage your, leverage your, your, your emotional intelligence, leverage your, you know, your, your ethics, your values, your, your focus on your goals, because that people is going to, your, your team is going to appreciate that.
0: Yeah. 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 Totally agree. And and when I, heard that for the first time which was about three years ago i I really got emotional about it because i thought wow imagine where we've come from where it used to be a liability to be a mom because of the perception of you weren't going to work as hard to the reverse that it could actually be a job qualification Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's stunning to see the shift. And I'm, I really love the idea that we're talking about how women can talk about it. Cause that's one of the questions I get is how can we tell businesses this? And you just really did a beautiful job associating it with something that is really relatable to business, which is transformational leadership. So thank you so much for that. That's wonderful. Yeah.
1: And then just, just a note for your, your listeners. So, so women can maximize their natural transformational characteristics. But men can, too. So, so how do you do that? There, there's four things you could do. Leverage your empathy. Leverage your listening skills. Leverage your collaboration or teamwork skills. And finally, your relationships. Those four areas will help you be a better transformational leadership. A uh, leader. Excuse me, transformational leader.
0: Fabulous. That is so clear. I love that you're just giving these jewels of advice here. I really appreciate it. Can you tell I'm a professor, Lacey? <laughs> I can tell that you're a good communicator. And yes, I could tell you're a professor too. But um, no, really appreciate this wisdom that you're sharing today. My next question is, do you feel that or or believe or know <laughs> that men and women communicate differently and, and what the impact of that is? And I want to give you an example that maybe is a springboard to how you want to talk about this. I have a friend who, this is just one of many things that, that women do. It's the issue of nodding when a man talks. Mm-hmm. And... You know, what I have learned is that when we nod as women while a man is talking, he thinks we're agreeing with them. So this friend of mine was relaying this story, and she's in an, in the C-suite in an executive team, and she's very collaborative, wants to acknowledge people, was doing a lot of nodding. She said it absolutely changed her life and her relationships in that C-suite when she stopped nodding. She said suddenly, the CEO, the COO, they were coming to her to ask for her input because they weren't assuming they knew what she thought. And this is like a massive outcome for a very small habitual change, right? And it's my feeling, and I suspect there's a lot of little things like this where we're just not on the same page, our behaviors or the way we do our body language is not the same and we're just crossing each other like ships in the night we're not connecting male to female and understanding each other in that communication both verbal and body language sense what thoughts do you have on that yeah
1: it's funny you bring that up actually your your colleague or your friend may have heard one of my talks on this because um, I, i'm the only buddy yeah, only person out there in this space that i'm aware of that talks about specific uh, gender culture nuances in the workplace. So this is one area that I talk about. So it's, uh, so this is essentially how we, we, so let me, let me set the stage for this. So when it comes to gender, um, men and women, women have, have different approaches to virtually every aspect of work. And it's it's again, based on how we're socialized and some of it, how we're hardwired in our brains. So it's not about rights and wrongs. It's simply about differences. So we have differences in how we work within an organizational structure. You know, what type of structure we prefer, you know, flat or hierarchy. We have, we have differences in how we conduct meetings, how we network, how we interpret information, how we communicate, work in teams, solve problems, take risks, and as we just discussed, how we lead. So let's talk about the communication piece for a minute. So, when it comes to listening skills, we're, we have we we have differences. Um, so, men when, when men are listening, men are very stoic, uh, have very little facial expression, body movement, no emotion, very large should say little to no emotion, and they're sitting back listening. And when when they agree with what the speaker is saying, they they nod. So men nod when they're in agreement with what the speaker's saying. Women are very different. Women tend to nod continuously during a conversation. Now, the the reason women do this is because women focus on relationships, and women are trying to preserve the relationship. And so we're nodding, telling the speaker, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Keep going. Here's the key difference, Lacey. The woman may not be agreeing with what's being said, but she's nodding to acknowledge, I'm with you. you. Keep going, keep going, yeah, I hear you. So this is a this is a really key difference. So, so let's I'll give you a scenario here. Let's let's play this out. So if that woman in that conversation was nodding, let's say she's in a conversation with her boss, and she's nodding, yeah, 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 okay, okay. Two hours later, she goes into her boss's. Let's say her boss is a male. Two hours later, she goes into his office and starts questioning the project that they were talking about. And so maybe she has some ideas or different ways to do the project. Well, in his mind, two hours before, she was just sitting in front of me, <laughs> nodding. In his mind, she was in agreement. In the male, in the milk culture, that's what you would do. So he thought she was in agreement. Now she's marched into his office two hours later, coming up with all these suggestions on the project. And he's wondering why. So so what happens in this scenario is a male boss will often see it as insubordination. Oh, no, it's it's not insubordination in the female culture. This is perfectly acceptable for her to go in and try and make the project better for the team. So this is where we often miss each other. And, And so the nodding I talk about in my in my keynotes, in my in my presentations, because it is a very simple thing, and, and I can relate to this because I'm a nodder myself. I'm constantly nodding, saying, yeah, yeah, keep going, I hear you. But, I mean, I'm not necessarily agreeing with what they're saying. I'm just acknowledging they're talking, and I'm with them. So, that's, that's a key difference in our gender cultures, that we just, and again, it's not about rights and wrongs, but we do need to, um, we need to recognize it, and we need to think about the possible perception, Okay. This is another really important piece about this scenario. So what's the potential perception? If a woman is constantly nodding, she might be perceived as maybe just agreeable to everything or maybe even a little indecisive. That could be a possible perception. Um, If a man is sitting there stoic, he nods once or twice, he may be perceived as more um, more leader-like. So, uh, again, think about perceptions, because perceptions is often reality. But, you know, I wonder how many times someone has perceived me as just being agreeable because I was nodding the whole time. But it's just one of many gender differences in, in how, we, um, how we show up in the workplace.
0: Sure. Well, that is very clear. What are some of the other, like, do you have a list? (laughs) What are some of the other uh, differences that you find um, play out in the workplace? Like one I I observed and figured out on my own and then read about it later is the way men stand when they're talking, like the way they physically stand with another man. Whereas women Uh tend to go face to face, men will make a chevron V shape and stuff like that. What are, what are some of the other Uh things that are different between us? Oh, <laughs> there's dozens. I'll just give you, I'll give you a couple of them. Um, one one
1: really key one. And, and again, what's really fascinating about these gender differences, most people are completely unaware of these subtle differences, but they have a huge impact on how we're perceived and even our potential career advancement. So this is why I talk about, this is why I wrote the book, and this is why I, I speak on these topics is to educate. Um, so what, another area that's key is is how we solve problems so men so think of a laser think of a laser Um, men are like lasers when it comes to problem solving they'll focus on the problem it's they'll um, not be distracted by extraneous variables they'll focus on it and they'll solve the problem quickly and efficiently okay quickly being the key word there Uh, So that's like a laser. That's called, there's a name for it. It's called convergent thinking. Women are very different when we go about solving problems. Women use divergent thinking. So women are like a radar screen. So when women go to solve a problem, they consider other factors. How is this going to affect me, my team, the company, our customers, you know, our bottom line. So or work-life balance, maybe. So, so women consider factors first, and then they solve the problem or make the decision. Now, as you can imagine, there's there's pros and cons to each of these ways of thinking. And so, with the convergent style, which is the laser, it's it's quick and efficient. That's the the pro. The con is oftentimes um, this type of thinking may miss other alternatives that would have been better but because they were so quick to solve the problem, they just ignored and didn't think through other alternatives. With the divergent way of thinking, or the radar thinking is it takes, the pro is chances of having to repeat it are much less because you thought thought through the problem first. The downside of divergent thinking is it simply takes longer. So when my message is to to both men and women is we need to value both ways of solving problems. And we need to realize that there's going to be certain situations where one or another may be, you know, uh, important. So if, if you, if you have a problem, you have a deadline, you need to solve it, use the convergent thinking. If it's has major implications, you're working with maybe your customers, your external customers, it affects the company. Divergent thinking would be better because you want to think that through first. Mm. So does that that make
0: sense? Yeah, yeah, that's very clear, and it's it kind of you're sort of um, giving some evidence for a gut feeling I've always had, and I articulated earlier is that I I think we need both sets, male and female sets of skills to actually be great leaders. And as you're pointing out, it's situational. You know, uh, don't use a hammer when you know. Yeah, will do You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, I I love what you're saying. And I I think that your book, The Power of Perception, now it's really clear to me what that's about. So for those of you that want to know more about these issues, definitely grab Dr. Sean Andrews book, The Power of Perception. Do you have any other examples that you want to share? Yeah, uh, uh, there's, and again,
1: there's, there's dozens that, that I talk about, but here's another one that's just, fascinating is how we conduct meetings. So you know you would think this is a pretty, you know, innocuous topic. Ooh, like who cares? But it's really important because meetings is the most visible part of work. It's it's where we bring our ideas and and share our perspectives and it's where we're visible to our team. So so meetings are, have a really important function in the workplace. But they also highlight inequities and biases. So so men and women have differences in how we conduct meetings. So in the male culture, uh, men, uh, men live in a hierarchy. So there's a clear pecking order. So when it comes to, um, so men have a meeting before the meeting. And the reason men do this is they're trying to maintain, subconsciously, maintain their place in that hierarchy, in that pecking order. So men will meet with all the key players ahead of time. They'll talk about, you know, key issues, any potential problems to address and get everything worked out. So when they go to the meeting, there's no surprises and they're not embarrassed. So in the male culture, this makes perfect sense to have a meeting before the meeting and the female culture, this makes no sense. So women go to the meeting uh, with all their great ideas, ready to dialogue with everyone there, unbeknownst to her, the meetings really already happened. So this is another key difference in how we approach business in general. So so what, so what the outcome is, is women often are left out of key discussions because in the female culture, there's no need to have a meeting before the meeting because women live in more of a flat culture, not a hierarchy. So it makes sense when you think about our, our cultures and how what we're raised in and how we're expected to act. Um, so. Again, if you think about possible perceptions here, if, um, and also we conduct ourselves different in the meeting. So men tend to speak in a declamatory voice, uh, uh, avoid being influenced in public and they tend to interrupt others more. Women have very different behavior in meetings. Women tend to sit back, listen, raise their hands and smile more. So again, think about possible perceptions. If, if he is standing up there and speaking in a declamatory voice, again, he may be viewed as leader-like. If a woman is sitting back and raising her hand, smiling, and waiting her turn, the group is not going to get the benefit of her great ideas. So again, these are not rights and wrongs. They're simply differences that we need to be aware of, though, and how it may impact uh, our, the percep- our perception.
0: Yeah, I, I perception love that. Idea. I love that example. Uh, that was something that I learned. I had a 30 year career in nonprofit management, 20 as a CEO. And my last like 12 years, I learned this and uh-huh. it was so amazing because I finally got to a point where I rarely went into a board meeting with my board of directors where I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Uh-huh. I-, I viewed it a little bit differently. I viewed it as uh I viewed it as collaboration. I, I viewed it as, wow, this is, this is brilliant. Of course I worked mostly with men. Um, in my last 10 years I worked with politicians. So that gives a whole, that has its own edge to it. Uh, but I had only recently heard about this meeting before the meeting as, as an official thing. So thank you for bringing it up because it's something that I, I coach my clients on it too. You know, it's, it's, if this is the way business is being done, then it's not a matter of, as you say, right or wrong. It's a matter for me of what works and what doesn't work in the environment you're in and how far do you want to go with it? So definitely a tool that can be employed for sure. Do you, do you coach any of your coachees to utilize that tactic or do you encourage them to, to hold back?
1: Yeah. So I have a three general strategies when it comes to the whole gender culture piece and how we have different approaches to business. Um, First of all, is to simply reinterpret the opposite gender's intent. Um, You know, you may scratch your head and say, why does he act that way? Or a male may scratch his head and say, why is she acting that way? Oftentimes it doesn't make sense to us, but it, it makes perfect sense in their respective gender culture. So first is simply to reinterpret their intent. Second is to you may need to flex your style and modify your behavior to be in sync with theirs. So if you're a woman who works with primarily men, you, you may need to have a meeting before the meeting and, and to, to put their mind at ease. Um, an example going the other way is you know, men uh, need to be mindful to loop in women more. If they're having meeting before meetings, they need to make sure to loop in their female colleagues. Uh, and then the third uh, third strategy is we should be, talking about these differences and the best ways to work together. Um, And we should, all of this is precisely why we need gender balanced leadership for the fact that women think differently and behave different, or excuse me, men and women think differently and behave differently for that simple fact, which is, is why we need gender balanced leadership. So we should be talking about, you know, these differences and how we could best leverage them, value them and best work together.
0: I love that term gender balanced leadership. I'm actually writing that down. You said said something earlier. You said the term bottom line. I'm wondering, is it your view? What do you think about how how gender balanced leadership or just gender balance in in leadership in an organization, how does that impact the bottom line? Haven't there been some studies that prove that it actually increases profits to have this diversity? Oh, yeah. Dozens.
1: So there's there's um dozens, actually dozens and dozens of studies that show that companies that are more diverse and inclusive outperform those that aren't on a whole host of measures from um, ROI to revenue, the bottom line to uh, engagement, to retention, to innovation and creativity. Um, so a whole host of measures. We, we know this. We know the data is there. Um, and then there are are also studies that show that when companies have more gender balanced boards and leadership teams, those companies outperform those that have no women on their boards. For example, so there's very clear data out there from a number of sources that show this. Um, so, so you would think this would be a no brainer, right? You you would think it should it should be a natural, um, you know, given women's strengths, um, women's education, women's. Experience, Experience, you would think we would have gender balance now. The reason we don't is because of all these barriers I mentioned. Um, and, the, you know, I, I talk about in my, my book and my presentations and my classes, everything I teach and, and speak on. Um, it's the barriers. And so until we start and still until we can address these barriers, not all of them, but at least, you know, start chipping away at these. We're not going to see women advancing in large numbers to leadership levels. Um, even though the data shows that's the right thing to do. So we, we absolutely have to, we need, we need men and women working together to address these barriers for women, but also for for people of color. It's it's the same, you know, same situation.
0: Sure, sure. Well, you know, as you know, we've talked about the Women's Leadership Program at Cal State Fullerton. Three years ago, we made a shift to focus on some of those barriers. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so wonderful. The program's been in existence for seven years now, and we're starting to Be able to reach out to the young women who have benefited from the program who are early in their careers. And we are finding that they're advancing more quickly than their peers because they're equipped with tools to address some of the barriers that that they're facing in their their work life early in their careers. Um, In my practice, I talk a lot about influence. That's kind of the framework I use to talk about some of these things. How do you view influence as a tool to overcome bias for women?
1: So when you say influence, are you referring to building relationships with yes. senior leaders?
0: Yes. Yeah. And so for instance, yes, absolutely. Building those key relationships with the people that can help you get where you want to go, people who are willing to sponsor, and also those types of folks that can neutralize people who become barriers for whatever reason because as much as we'd like to think everybody in our organization is plays fair and is you know has character the truth of the matter is that there are people out there that can become saboteurs or throw marbles in our path and I try to help women have tools at the ready to overcome that. Yeah, yeah I definitely think that's an
1: important piece of it. I mean, there's there's other pieces, too, but that is an important piece, because if you can build great relationships with key people in your organization, then chances are you're going to have more sponsors uh, or even maybe more mentors and sponsors, actually. Uh, So you, you want people advocating for your on your behalf when you're not in the room. That's a sponsor. And so if you have those key relationships built, you're just increasing your chances of that happening. So, yeah, I think that's a great thing to do. Um, but you know, there's, there's other things as well. I mean, how do you, how do you minimize bias in my book? I have like, Oh, I have about a dozen things that an individual can do. And then I have about a dozen things organizations can do to minimize biases. Um, but again, that's just one, one piece of the puzzle here. There's also, um, you know, the, the work-life balance issue and, and, you know, individual mindsets. Maybe, you know, maybe it's holding yourself back with uh, your language, or maybe it's negative self-talk. You know, it maybe for, for one woman, that, that's a really important piece. Um, so, you know, bias, your, your sponsors, mentors, role models, um, breadwinner, caregiver, work-life balance issues, gender culture issues. I mean, and so I think this could easily be overwhelming for, for women of people of color. Yes. But one, one thing I'll share with you, though, and this is this is a really cool part of all this, is you don't have to have a majority to make things change. And we know this from really robust data. It's called the rule of three or the 30 percent rule. And what it means is if you are in an environment when where you're the only, the only whatever, the only woman, the only black, the only LGBTQ, um, you know, in, in your, on your team. Um, so when you have one of something, it's often tokenism and you don't have a lot of power to change the dynamics when there's two. So let's say two women in a group of men, it's better but sometimes that can work against each other because the women are viewed as either friends or enemies. When you have three, though, three of three women in a room or three Black employees or three Asian or th- whatever it is, when you have three, what happens is the power dynamics and the conversations start to shift. And those people, those three people also feel more empowered to speak up, to share their ideas more. Um, and so there's lots of positive things. So, so the, because of the rule of three, it's really great because we don't have to have a majority to make things change. We just have to start making some improvements in some areas. And then eventually that'll tip the scale. Oh,
0: that's so encouraging. Dr. John, <laughs> that makes my heart sing. I have never heard that before. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, I just have for two sure. more questions for you. My next one is my second to last question is why are some companies just flat out missing the mark on this? Obviously, it's diversity is good for business. It's good for profits. Everybody feels better with this kind of gender balance and diversity balance throughout organizations. Why are companies missing this? Yeah, so so
1: more and more companies desire to be diverse. And inclusive right and you hear it every day you see it in on their websites and their commercials and press releases it's everywhere um so more and more companies desire to be more you know dni but most are falling short and the reason they're falling short is because they're either don't know what to do which most comp- a lot of companies don't and i'm actually consulting to a com- couple companies right now on this very thing on how to be more diverse and inclusive and, and build it into your culture. Um, so they either don't know what to do, or they are focusing on the uh, well, only one piece of the issue. You know, there may be multiple issues at that company, but they're only maybe focusing on one piece, maybe just, just hiring and that's it. They're not focusing on uh, inclusive cultures or succession planning or promotion rates or anything like that. Uh, the third reason is um, they're focusing on the wrong issue. And so they may think the issue is how they're hiring but in reality the issue may be is their promotion to the f- first management level which which mckinsey calls the first rung you know the first rung of your career often mm-hmm. often that first rung is broken for women so um so for those reasons most companies are falling short when it comes to diversity equity and inclusion
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so um and they're different you know so so the terms now are deib diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And they all mean something a little bit different, but in a nutshell, I'll just share with you here. Diversity is a fact that's based on, you know, characteristics, your male, your female, your race, ethnicity. And so diversity is a fact. Equity is about choice. So creating environments where people have opportunity and, and choice that others do. Inclusion is about action. So we have to be active, be intentionally inclusive in creating environments where people feel that that they can be authentic and and share their uh, ideas. And then belonging is actually an outcome. So it's, it's the outcome that you want. So if you have an inclusive culture, people are going to feel that they belong, that they can fully contribute and be their authentic selves at work. So Basically, that's D-E-I-B in a nutshell, but, um, and it's not, um, another reason companies fail is that they, it's not a topic you can just dabble in. You have to be uh, committed to it, and it has to be part of your overall
0: business strategy um, to really do it well. Sure. That makes tons of sense. It has to be institutionalized. Yes. I, I mean, this has just been so enlightening and so helpful for me and the working women that listen to this podcast. To sort of close this out and put a bow on it, (laughs) what is your top piece of advice for working women who want to advance their career?
1: Okay, so I've actually thought about this one a lot, Lacey. Uh, And I do have, of all the advice I can give women, um, there's one piece of advice that does stand out, and it's have confidence in your ability to learn. Now, the reason that this is so important is because if you, if, 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 if a man is approached, and I'm talking about in general, men in general, when men are approached by something they've never done, most men will say, I got it, I'm on it. They don't know how to do it, but what do they do? They go, they say, boss, I got it, I'm on it. And they go figure it out. They'll Google it. They'll read a book. They'll talk to colleagues. And nine times out of 10, this works for men. OK, now, same scenario when when women are, are approached by with something they've never done, most women will say, I've never done that. I don't have experience in it, but we could try it, maybe bring in a consultant. But I'm just not sure. So women, women want to be truly authentic and honest in their experience. Now, here's the difference, though, is he doesn't know anything more than she does. He just acts as if he does. So if, and this has been working for men for decades. So if men, men, you know, will say, I got it, I'm on it. If women had, women need to have more confidence in your ability to figure it out because your male colleague doesn't know anything more than you do. So next time you're confronted with something you've never done say, boss, I got it, I'm on it. And you go figure it out. Just like your male colleagues have been doing for decades. So my, my biggest piece of advice for women is to have confidence in your ability to figure things out. So the world needs more women to say yes.
0: I agree 100%. And I, you know, I love that you, that you said that and I totally agree with you. And one thing I, I want to share with you as we're kind of wrapping up here is that it occurred to me when I first was thinking about this confidence issue. And there's a study out there and I'm sure there's tons of them, but the one that I know most of is the HP one where uh, women apply for a job only when they think they have 100% of the qualifications, men apply when they have 60 and there's other studies that bear that out. But I think about my friends who have children, right? Because generally, if someone's gonna have kids, they value being a good mother. And I don't know anybody who went and studied motherhood and child rearing and the psychology of, you know, child unfoldment and all this stuff, women assume they can raise children that they will figure it out. So why this doesn't translate to the work environment, I'm not sure, but women do assume they can do things in some situations. It just doesn't seem to translate to work. Do you know anything about that? You know, that's a real, that's a really good example
1: is, is, Childbearing, I never thought of it that way, but I think, I do think the reason the reason women um, the reason women will will come out and say, "I've never done it, I don't have experience in it is because women want to be authentic and be honest, and that's a great trait. but if if you're a, a busy boss and you just need something done, which response sounds more confident that the job's going to get done? the the one that says I got it, I'm on it. Um, you know, so, so another thing I I like to bring up to women here is no one ever said you need to divulge everything you don't know in the workplace. Yes. But but we often feel like we do as women, we often feel like we have to be completely transparent about everything. Well, you don't, no one ever said you did. And, And men aren't being transparent about what they don't know, but this technique has worked for them. And so my advice, again, advice is, is say yes, go figure it out. And you don't have to confess everything you don't know. And I think the difference there is in the workplace, you know, we're, we're working with others versus child rearing. We're not having to be transparent to others about I've never raised a kid. I've never done this, you know, so the, the dynamics are a bit different as far as how we're communicating ourselves. So Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's the reason we see it more at work is because we just feel women feel they need to be more, uh, they need to divulge everything they don't know and be fully transparent at work. And you don't necessarily have to do that. I'm not encouraging you to lie. You just
0: don't need to divulge everything you don't know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Be your own best advocate. Yeah. This has been so fun for me. Thank you for spending so much time with me today. I really loved having you on the podcast, people who are listening, women go out and get Dr. Sean Andrews book, The Power of Perception. And do you want to say again, Dr. Sean, just where people can find you? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the question. The best way to reach me is my
1: website, uh, Dr. 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 Sean Andrews.com. Sean is S-H-A-W-N. And there's a number of resources, Courses on there. There's some free um, downloads, and there's videos, and there's a lot of podcast and radio interviews, and, and also published articles. So there's a lot of stuff there. So that's that's the best way to reach me. And then the, the book itself is um, it's available in print, ebook, and audiobook. And I'm I'm happy to say uh, it's it's voiced over by yours truly. Uh, last was it last year, yeah, early. No, it's 2019 actually. I spent three months in a music studio. Voicing over the narration for the book. So, um, and I and so if, if you happen to like hearing the author, um, the audiobook is is voiced over by me. So those are all available out there, um, you
0: know, wherever you, you you buy books and your your favorite places are. So. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Sean Andrews. We appreciated you spending time with me today. Thanks, Lacey. This has been great. Yeah. And thank you, working women, for listening today. Wherever you're listening in the world, remember, you are the power.